Good morning. Turn with me, please, to the book of John, chapter 5. We're going to be reading from verse 1. Stand together, if you're able. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can be here to learn and to understand and to grow in our faith, our commitment to you, Lord, to take comfort from you. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we give this day to you and pray it because of Jesus. Amen. Well, how are we doing today? It's always fun to get to preach because I don't do it all that often. And I know why I don't do it that often, because it's somewhat nerve-wracking. And uh, first service was kind of the trial run to see how it would go. And you get to be uh, the recipients of round number two. Hopefully the best one, uh, as all of them are, I'm sure. But uh, this week it was interesting as, as I was preparing and uh, was sharing what I was going to be preaching and what passage, I was asked, why that passage? And uh, my first response was, well, why not? I mean, it's God's Word. We should be preaching from God's Word. And then I thought, well, no, you know what? This is something that I've studied before and I felt real comfortable with the passage and and you know, do you recycle something you've used? And I decided, no, I won't do that. Let's study it afresh a little bit more. And then as I continued in my studies, I realized, you know what? This is a passage that I need to hear. It was a passage that, that I needed to have comfort from. Because there are so many things that I've, I've discovered this week and in this past month and year where there's just been tragedies taking place around. People with cancer that are close to me. Then there's those, there's those that have, have suffered illnesses of, of many kinds. There are people who have passed away. And here I am thinking, gosh, you know, I'm going to bring this message of comfort to people here who need it, and I needed it. 
I needed it more than anything. And so this, this morning might not be so much a sermon to you as it is just me sharing with you some of the things that God has put on my heart uh, that He has taught me. And uh, hopefully together we can, uh, we can just see how great our God truly is and how great Jesus is. And uh, really when you look at this, it's a story. A story for us of Christ's mercy, His amazing love and the hope that we can have even in the most difficult circumstances. And as John has written this passage here, it is a section of the Bible that he gets to, his gospel that he gets to, to where he's now presenting uh, the third of seven miracles. And these miracles that he's presenting to us and, and writing about here are ones that are doing more than just giving us a, a story. They're more than just displaying the supernatural power of who Christ is. But what they're doing is they're building up and identifying the character of Christ and who Christ is as God incarnate. So I like to used to tell kids when I did my youth ministry, it's a story of God in Abad. And one that we can learn from this day of what he's done for us. It is to express a spiritual truth that is revealing the nature and the character of God. It's amazing love that is displayed in the mercy of Christ. It is a powerful Savior next to a powerless man. It is hope expressed for us all. That the disease of sin and its crippling effects are no match for the power of redemption that comes through Jesus Christ alone. It's this amazing love of Christ who shows mercy to the helpless so that we might have hope even in the most desperate of circumstances. So look with me at this passage, if you will, and we'll just kind of work through it together, making comments as we go along. Verse 1, chapter 5, it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Well, it begins with an after this, which means that there was a before this. Something took place before John writes this, and what happened was the second of the seven miracles. Jesus was on the road, and, and this uh, official comes up to him, somebody that we know was not a believer, because later on in, in the passage that talks about the miracle, he, uh, he becomes a believer, he and his household, because Jesus healed his son. And the way that he healed him was not in the sense of him coming physically into contact with this person, or being in the presence of this person even. He healed him from a distance. The man said, my son is dying. He is sick. And Jesus said, he's no longer sick. He's no longer dying. He's been made whole. And when this guy goes away, he confers with uh, friends and, and family and finds out that the very moment that Jesus spoke those words was when his son began to become healed, began uh, to get well, to become whole. And so then John writes up, follows up with this and says, After this there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And it says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. The word Bethesda means house of mercy. And it has these five colonnades, which, was, which has five roofed colonnades. Colonnade is nothing more than a porch, porch with a covering. And for a long time, it was difficult for people uh, in the archaeological circles and in the biblical archaeological circles to, to match what John is writing about with the time that he's writing about, along with the, the lack of discovery of this pool. In fact, it was thought then at that point that the accuracy of John was not at what it seemed to be at the beginning because they couldn't find it. But then in the early 20th century, it was discovered 
It was found, and the reason they had difficulty in finding it is that they were looking for a single pool that had porches on all four sides of it. But instead, what they found were two pools side by side with the four porches surrounding the entire body of pool and one right in the middle. And there's the five colonnades that John spoke of. Not that God's word needed any credibility at that point, but at that point, archaeologically at least, it was shown to be accurate. And it says there in these, verse 3, In these lay multitude of individuals, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, some of you in your, in your uh, Bibles, if you're using New American Standard, note that there is no verse 4 in the ESV. And in the American Standard, there is a verse 4. And we're not going to deal with that right now. We'll come back to that. How many here, by the way... Crowd participation have uh, an, an NASB with them. Okay, so you you recognize that that there's a verse four, and I skipped it, not on purpose. There's a reason. We'll come back to it. But what we have here then is this scene, the scene that is unfolding of people around this pool. There are blind people. There are sick people. There are people who can't walk. They're just covering this whole area. And in this, we find that there are those that are in desperate need. There are those who are. Uh, with struggles, there are people who are just ill, who are looking for some kind of relief in some way. And Jesus comes onto this scene. And in this mass of people here, what happens? Verse 6 says, when Jesus saw him lying there, I mean, he, there were a lot of people lying there, but it says when he saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Jesus knew and pinpointed this person specifically to work a miracle here. But what's even more amazing is that before he even arrived, Jesus knew where this man would be. He knew him. He knew him perfectly. He knew that we, he would be there in order for him to be able to bring out and display a miraculous sign to show the character, the nature of God to show and give glory to God, but to show that he was equal with God in power. And he asked this question of the man, do you want to be healed? And that's the first point in our, in our sermon this morning, and a question that we ask to you as well, do you want to be well? In fact, it was really kind of a fundamental question. There's a lot of people there. Uh, it could be even considered a ridiculous question. Because that was the whole point of all these people being at the pool is because they wanted to be healed. They wanted to be well. But again, Jesus knew this man's specific condition. He knew what his need was. He knew perfectly what it would take in order to heal this man. And what's amazing for us is that Jesus also knows us perfectly well. He knows what our hurts are. He knows what our insecurities are. He knows what our needs and sicknesses and fears are. He knows us perfectly. He knows us specifically. He knows us personally. And when we need Him, He will meet us at our greatest need. Even when we don't seek Him, He will seek us out. He will find us because He knows us. He loves us. He will bring us comfort and peace. And that comfort and peace comes through the working of the, of the Holy Spirit. And how do I know this? Well, God's Word reveals this to us, just how much God 
how much Christ knows us. In fact, turn with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, we're going to start at verse 1. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Jesus knows us well. And each person who was there at that pool had this specific need, and Jesus knew that there were many needs there. And again, he picks out this one man. And just as he knew what that man's need was, he knows each one of your needs. In fact, we all have a common need. We all have a need for healing in one way. And that way is is to be healed from the disease of sin. It affects us all. But the great news that we have is that we can we can understand and know what Jesus did for us so that we might be forgiven for that sin, so that we might be healed. Because Jesus took our place on the cross, dying for our sins, we know that we have a hope. He became sin for us. He took the penalty. He took the guilt. He took the punishment. He took the pain in order for us to be healed if we simply come to Him and acknowledge Him as our Lord and Savior, then we will be healed. And in this time, in this healing, we can stand just as Paul did and say, Death, where is your victory? Where where is your sting? This is the mercy of Christ being shown to us. And for us to know the mercy of Christ and His offer of salvation, we must answer that question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made whole? But how does this man answer that question? Answers it much differently than how hopefully we would. He is in this desperate circumstance, and the way he answers truthfully is with some bit of indignation. The Greek word used for for him uh, that he responds with here is, is one that is much of a backhanded, polite um, response. Verse 7, it says, The sick man answered him, Sir, the polite response, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Now this isn't quite the response we might expect, is it? We might expect that if this man who had needed healing, and Jesus says, Do you want to be healed? would say, Yes, with all my heart, I want to be healed. 
But instead, he gives this backhanded, polite way of saying, making up an excuse that he can't get there. And in this, we find just really where his heart is. And D.A. Carson kind of put it this way. He said the response that he gave was, was the crotchety grumblings of an old and not very perceptive man who thinks he is answering a stupid question. Now, we can't fault him, I don't think. Because in some ways, we might think this is just really a ridiculous question ourselves. Isn't it obvious? I'm here. I do want to be healed. But what's amazing is that Jesus displays his mercy and compassion regardless of what the answer is. And he heals him anyway. By the way, at this point, I need to, to, to jump in with the verse 4 because I said I would. Actually, it's, it's part of verse 3 and 4. Uh, it's not in the ESV about the angel coming down. In fact, what it reads in the NASB, let me read that for you. It says, These lay a multitude of those who were sick, verse 3, blind, lame, and withered, in the part that's not in the ESV, waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Now the earliest manuscripts do not have those verses in them. They were added later on in later manuscripts, and really the reason they were put in is uh, found in verse 7, where it talks about the waters being stirred. When the man himself says, I have nobody to put me into the water when it's stirred, the writers felt that there needed to be a little bit more of an explanation, explanation of why that was happening. It was common knowledge at the time of what it all meant for the people at the pool, but later on, people didn't know that. So the writer says, you know, what the thought was is this angel came and would stir the waters and somehow the supernatural power would come into where a person could be healed. Now whether this is exactly what happened, and we wouldn't say that it wouldn't because God is God and will work in ways that he will work, amazing ways. Uh, But they do know that for this pool itself, the way that water was fed into it came through an an underground stream. And every now and then, uh, a rush of water would come through and cause a rippling to take place and actually have minerals in it that colored the water. And it was those minerals that people thought were the properties that healed. And so they would go into the water. But then we go back to Jesus' response again here. Or we go to Jesus' response. Verse 8. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. And this brings us to the second point here, which is the command. We've had the question, now we have the command. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And what's amazing about this, in verse 9 it says, At once the man was healed. When Jesus healed him, it was instantly, it was immediately, it was perfect. And without any hesitation, it was complete. When Jesus spoke, the sovereign power of Christ is revealed and there was no uncertainty in what took place. The guy that was healed, he didn't have to warm up. He didn't have to stretch. He didn't have to get his balance. He was perfectly healed at that point. I know here I I turned 50 just recently. 
Well, I like to think it's recently, back in October. And I found something about being 50 that I didn't think I would find. And that's, in order for me to get my socks on in the morning, I have to stretch. It's just stiff and sore. and got to get all the kinks out of myself before I can put my socks on. But this man, when he was healed, he just jumped up. He obeyed Christ. And in ever brief of a moment, he did trust him as well. He trusted him. He obeyed him. He followed his command. He got up and carried his bed. You know, and many times we have uncertainties in our lives. We're not sure whether we should keep going, whether we should get up and fight the things that are there. But we know we need to trust in Christ, don't we? It's something that we need to do. I found for myself that, that in these difficulties, I need to just trust Him. That He is going to handle things in the way that maybe I wouldn't handle it, but they would be perfect nonetheless. And if we obey His commands, it will always be what we need. The healing He brings will always be what we need. And we just need to be ready to respond to His command and get up and walk. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. When we trust and obey, there is no uncertainty of direction in our lives. Proverbs says that our paths are straight. We know where to walk. And as Jesus commanded this paralytic to get up and walk, it comes across in a past sense of saying, walked, he walked. But really, in the sense of what the original language communicates to us, is that it's to continue to walk. We are to be walking each and every day. We are needing to go forward. We are needing to not stand still. We are not to allow sin to catch up with us in any way. If we run into obstacles on the path, we just need to keep walking. And we can do this because we know and trust and obey Christ. And He will give us the strength. He will give us what we need to keep going. Just the other night, I was watching the History Channel, kind of a Civil War buff, and uh, they had a show on that I'd never had had seen before uh, regarding uh, how medicine, how wounds, and how uh, injuries were handled on the battlefield. And up to the point of the beginning of the war, the the prescribed method of handling illness was to do bloodletting, just try to empty out the bad blood and I guess hope that good blood went back in somehow. But this was the way that they handled it. And suddenly, these surgeons and these doctors were faced with having to handle wounds that they'd never seen before. And as the advancement of weapons and and, uh, means of causing injury and death to others advanced, the doctors were finding that they had to keep up with that same uh, way of of handling the wounded as the weapons were being... The the mini-ball was the worst of all uh, the creations at that point in time. Because when it hit a person, it would cause internal damage that there was just no way for doctors to repair and they had to just basically make the person comfortable and wait for them to die. Others would be shot and and it would shatter bones. And the only way they knew how to handle a broken bone or the shattered bone was to amputate the limb and hope that gangrene wouldn't set in or any kind of disease and cause the flesh to, 
to dwindle away. But then later on in the war, as the advancements in medicine continued to, to uh, increase, they found out that they could take out, whenever somebody had a section of bone uh, damage, they could take that section out and actually fuse the, the old bone or the, the remaining bones together. And in some ways, it would, it would definitely cause a person to have shorter limbs, but at least they still had a limb. And then what they were finding out is that if that happened early on, that men who were in battle and, and because of, of their, their desire to fight for what they believed in, this obstacle of being shot and having a bone shattered was no longer an obstacle because they would heal and come back and want to continue to fight. They kept going, even though that obstacle is there. And that's what we need to do. We can't let things uh, stall us in our walk. We need to keep going. We need to just trust and obey and allow God to work and to guide and direct our paths and just keep going. The verse uh, continues on, verse 9. It says, Now that day was the Sabbath. And it's interesting when you look at the Sabbath, Jesus is somewhat of a controversial figure throughout the Bible, we know. But it seems like most of his controversies happened on the Sabbath. He would do weird things like heal people or show mercy to others. And why did he pick the Sabbath? Well, a lot of times the Sabbath was, was the day to where these laws had been made up by the Jews that were, were not right. They had made up their own rules and regulations thinking they were upholding the word of God. And Jesus came to say, no, that is not what God had intended in the Sabbath. And I'm here to show you what the Sabbath is all about. Verse 10 says, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. There were 39 Sabbath laws that the Jewish people had, the Jewish leaders. They were rules and regulations that they used to enforce tests on other people. And oftentimes these were somewhat ridiculous rules that existed. One of them was such that you couldn't and you weren't allowed to carry any wood on the Sabbath because it would be considered a burden. So if anyone had an artificial limb that was wooden leg or arm, they couldn't walk anywhere because it would be considered a burden. And they enforced these rules. And you know what? It's interesting about the Sabbath is that God is always working, even on the Sabbath. And has commanded us, yes, we are to take a day of rest, but he holds the whole universe together in his hand and is continually working day and day after day. And so in that sense then, what do we learn from the Sabbath? What can we take away? Well, what I found for myself a lot of times is that when I'm struggling with an issue, when there's something that is, is just heavy on my heart, it's best to rest just to take some time off, to take some time away. Because when you can do that, you suddenly have this new perspective. Rest gives you a new outlook. It helps us to think clearly. And that's part of what a Sabbath means and what a Sabbath should be about. But these, these men had turned it into nothing more than rules and guidelines. And it also reveals what they knew about this man. 
Did they know in the first place that he was in need of healing, that he could not walk? Because if they truly did, the joy that the man had would have been their joy as well. To see him walking, to see him whole, would have been and should have been exciting for these leaders. But instead, they were more concerned about the rules and whether the rules were being followed. And verse 11 says that the man in the midst of handling this sudden interrogation answers them and says, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And so they asked him, verse 12, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. And when I first read that, I thought, You know what? If I had a need to be healed, I would certainly want to know who it was that did it. Wouldn't that be something you'd want to know? Who took the time to to find me in this crowd and heal me? But it says here that he didn't know. And part of the reason he didn't know is because Jesus didn't stick around long enough. It says he went away. He withdrew as there was a crowd in that place. But when asked why he was walking on the Sabbath, why he was breaking the rules, the best that he could do was to blame somebody else. And later on in John chapter 9, Jesus talks uh, or heals another man who is blind this time. He One puts the mud on his eyes, tells him to go wash, and he's healed. And again, being controversial, it happens on the Sabbath. But this time when the man is healed and he is accosted by the religious rulers as to why he has been healed on the Sabbath and what took place, he says, you know what? I was once blind, now I see. And I'm thankful for the man that did this to me. But Jesus finds him again, verse 14, in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. That brings us to the third point, which is the instruction. We've had the question, we've had the command, and now we have the instruction that Jesus gives to him. He says, see you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. When someone encounters Christ, when we have encountered Christ, we should be changed. We are not the same. The sickness of sin is taken care of, and we are well. We are whole again. And Jesus urgently warns this man to sin no more, that he needs to stop sinning. And I know what you're thinking is like, but if I've been healed from sin, why is it that I do sin still? It's because we're not perfect. We are tempted, and in our temptations, we fall and stumble. And what Jesus is talking about here when he says sin no more is those habitual sins that we find ourselves getting caught up in over and over again. Boasting, lying, gossiping, looking at things we shouldn't be looking at, listening to conversations we should not be listening to, thinking things that we shouldn't be doing over and over again. These are the sins that he is saying, don't do them. Don't do them anymore. And if we just continue in these habitual sins, then really what we're saying is that there is no value to what Christ did for us on the cross. It's because we have been redeemed that sin no longer controls our lives. It is no longer defining of our character. 
It no longer dictates how we live. We are new creations in Christ, and it is His character that now defines us. It is His nature that dictates how we live. But in order for us to be free from this grip of sin, we do need to daily tend to our souls. It just doesn't happen without any work, without any effort. We really need to spiritually work out daily. Just as one might work out to keep their body in shape, that's not me by the way, we should be working out spiritually. There was a time I was in shape, and in that time frame it was uh, always fun to, to go surfing, which I enjoy doing. But on one uh, occasion I was, I was out surfing, I tore my hamstring really bad. Really bad. I couldn't walk, couldn't get around, had to crawl to the door when I got home. And went to the doctor, and first thing they did was say, there's nothing we can do, it's just going to take time. But we will get you into rehab. You'll go into physical therapy. And so there I was, day after day, going into physical therapy, not wanting to go because of the pain. They would stretch my legs, twist it into you know, ways that I thought a human's body shouldn't be twisted. Then they'd put me on a stationary bike and say, ride, we'll tell you when to stop. It seemed like hours. They gave me these weights to train with. They, they put me on these balancing things to, to get coordination and strength back, all to strengthen my legs so that I could get back to doing what I enjoyed doing. But as time has gone on, I have not surfed all that much. I have not strengthened my legs, especially the one that got torn, and it's weak. It bothers me if I try to run, so I don't. It hurts when I ride a bike, so I don't have a bike. (laughs) I guess me saying that I'm not in shape isn't entirely true. Round is a shape, and (laughs) I can fit that. But we do need to stay in shape, if not physically, spiritually. We need to be in God's Word. We need its instruction. We need to bathe ourselves in prayer. We need to serve and get out and flex those muscles. We need to be spiritually fit. Well, we see that this physical condition of the man was healed and Jesus is is now instructing him, saying, look, sin no more, you are well. Take advantage of your, your health now. And for us, these things that might paralyze us, if we turn to Jesus, we will be well as also. And we might ask the question in this, if we are not to stop sinning because something worse would happen, what is it that could be worse, especially for this man who had been crippled for 38 years? How about eternity in hell? We've been shown mercy. It's mercy that we should be showing to others. We should be out wanting to share the gospel with those because we know that they are ill, that they have the disease of sin, that they are sick, and that they are going to hell. And if we are not doing that, then we are not flexing our spiritual muscles and using them. 
We need to seek after these people just as Jesus sought after this man. Christ has shown us great mercy. We too should show mercy as well. Let's move on. Verse 15. We're bringing the train in here. It says, The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. There again we have it, the purpose for John writing this book, to reveal through these miracles that Jesus had a purpose and was working towards that purpose in glorifying the Father, but also revealing Himself as being equal with God, that He was God, that He is God. He had specific direction. He had a firm purpose set in mind. And as believers, we too should have a firm purpose set in mind for our lives, a direction that we should be going with. We need to pursue, pursue things, not just haphazardly, but with purpose. James Montgomery Boyce, Boyce writes, Many Christians seem to live more by whim than by firm determination. A determination to pursue the will of the Lord. What is our purpose? Obey, trust, seek the will of the Lord. God has given us so much, so many things that will eventually fade away. But some of the things that He's given us are things that we can do that are of eternal value. Sharing the love that He has for others. Having us engage in service. For us to study the Bible. For us to be witnessing to others. To reach out. But as we do this, we know, and as we share, there will be difficulties that will come. As we live day by day, we will face circumstances that seem hopeless, yet we must persevere. Our lives should model Christ, and when we model Christ, we will be persecuted as He was. We will face the difficulties, we will face the hardships, we will face heartaches. But we need to keep going, we need to keep walking. And for this and in this and through this, as we keep going, we will bring glory and honor to God. This picture that we have of what took place at the pool is a gathering of individuals who are waiting to be healed. They were sinners. And here this day, there's a gathering of people in this room who are sinners. And just like the blind man, the lame man, the paralyzed man, our sin sometimes just keeps us to the place where we can't be moved. But then here comes Jesus. He heals us, takes away the pain and the suffering and the affliction, gives us the strength to be able to stand and get up and do for ourselves what we can't do for ourselves. Do for us what we can't do for ourselves. It's amazing love, the mercy of Christ. Showing His mercy so that we can have hope even in the most desperate of circumstances. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You 
for your word. Thank you that you give us the encouragement that we need to persevere in the face of sin, face of opposition. Lord, when we are suffering and in need, help us to turn to you, to trust in you, to obey you. Lord, help us to have our faith in you and in you alone. And God, as you bring us before people that are sick and in need of a Savior because of sin, their sin, we know you have the answer through your Son and help us to bring that message. Help us to have mercy. Lord, we love you. We give this day to you and we pray it because of Jesus. Amen.